Today is Monday, May 9th, 2022. This is the Link NKY Daily Podcast. I'm Matt Spaulding, and these are the headlines we're following today. Incumbent Ed Massey faces challenger touting election fraud in Kentucky. Reported on by Mark Payne. With just over a week until primary election day, a few Northern Kentucky Republicans face tough battles for re-election in the House. One of those is incumbent Representative Ed Massey. Massey, along with Representative Adam Koenig and Representative Sal Santoro, are facing Republican challengers from the sect of the party accusing the trio of not being conservative enough. Massey has come under particular scrutiny from the Commonwealth Conservative PAC. The PAC accuses the Boone County Republican of being liberal on its campaign website, liberaledmassey.com. Massey's opponent, Steve Rawlings, agrees with the attacks and thinks he is a better fit for office. Let's take a look at what each candidate plans to offer voters. Massey came into the House in 2019 after being in public service for around 30 years. First, he served as a firefighter EMT, then as a school board member, when his predecessor, Adia Wishner, who is now the executive director of Kentucky Right to Life, decided not to run, Massey thought he would step up to run in a special election. I think I've had a pretty good run serving as chair of judiciary for the past two years, and I've had the fortune of passing around, I believe, 30 pieces of legislation, Massey said. The NKY lawyer was then re-elected in 2020. Since joining the House, he's worked on various education, veterans affairs, and judiciary bills. But Massey has been attacked for his vote against House Bill 9, the controversial charter school bill that will bring a pilot charter school to northern Kentucky. I actually am very much for school choice, Massey said. In fact, if people knew the community that I live in, we created Ignite Institute, which is a school of choice. It's a partnership between Boone and Kenton County. Massey noted that the school allowed all parties the opportunity to open up, listen, and collaborate with people. Massey said he doesn't know that much about his opponent besides the fact that he is a retired lawyer. While his opponents attack, he says he has more in common with them than most people think, but if you disagree with them just once, they'll attack you. I believe, ironically, he was recruited into the role by some pretty extreme people who, if you vote 99% of the time with them, but vote against them one time, they will still go after you, Massey said. And so they saw to it that all of us in Northern Kentucky were going to be challenged. Rawlings said he is seeking to restore constitutional principles that have been lost in the past two-plus years. I seek to end mandates and vaccine requirements to promote freedom for both employers and employees to pursue their goals unhindered by constantly changing new rules and requirements, Rawlings said. There are no mandates in the state of Kentucky at the moment. He also said he would promote school choice and pursue policies allowing greater parental control and involvement in their child's schooling. Education should be kept under local authority, with teachers and parents working together, Rawlings said. I will lead efforts to stop the teaching of critical race theory and vote for legislation that advances age-appropriate education. There is no legislation or curriculum to teach critical race theory in Kentucky. He said his platform includes reducing the tax burden and opposing efforts to raise taxes. He said he would also fight to restore election integrity in Kentucky. Research has proven that Kentucky elections are not secure, Rawlings said. There is a cyber threat to our voting machines and systems. I will advocate for hand counting by pen and with paper ballots. Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams has stated to Link NKY that Kentucky has some of the most secure elections in the country. Our voting machines do not connect to the Internet. Those who make these wild claims about our elections being hacked have no experience running elections themselves and just want to exploit others for political and financial purposes, Adams said in April when the Northern Kentucky Liberty Party had a presentation touting election fraud in Northern Kentucky. Ludlow Community welcomes state-of-the-art Lemker Field at St. Elizabeth Ballpark, reported on by Dan Weber. Garen Colvin couldn't imagine any of this. 
Not when he was a Ludlow knothole kid growing up on the sandy dunes of Lenker Field by the banks of the Ohio River, or a Ludlow High baseball guy for some pretty good Panther teams. And yet here it was, and here he was, along with a standing room only crowd 10 deep in spots for Thursday's community dedication of Lemker Field at St. Elizabeth Ballpark. But it wasn't just Garen who went on to Thomas More on the Jim Connor Scholarship to play for the legendary coach. No one involved in Ludlow sports in the last 75 years or so could believe this scene either. Benny Clary has been coaching and boosting youth sports since he was the head manager as a Ludlow High School junior in 1954 and had the keys to the stadium. But a brand new Lemker Field at St. Elizabeth Ballpark with a community turnout like this despite the rain? Nope. I could never have imagined a crowd this big, Benny said. John Droud, Dr. Droud to those who know him professionally, was sitting in almost the exact same spot he did as a Ludlow High baseball catcher before he went off to Eastern Kentucky University thanks to his baseball talents. That led him back to a stint as a superintendent at his alma mater before becoming Kentucky Education Commissioner and now Kenton County Commissioner. It's hard not to think how this got John his start in coaching, where his 1963 Holmes team was the last Northern Kentucky team to win a state baseball title for 39 years, and one of the only two with Covington Catholic to do so in 59 years. It all started here, John said. John Ains, here on his 90th birthday, would have never imagined it. The conscience of the Northern Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame and the Ludlow Sports Hall of Fame played in the first Ludlow High game here in 1949, threw the first two no-hitters here, and all he could do was shake his head that here he was at the place he helped christen 73 years ago on his 90th birthday. And for sure, Clarence Dutch Dickman could not have imagined this place when he and his cousin and next-door neighbor Carl Lemker decided to convert the field across from Elm Street from their homes where the World War II Victory Gardens were being wound down into a baseball field. Dutch was looking for a place where the St. Boniface team he pitched for could play in the CYO League. We wanted a place so bad, said Dutch, who retired after 55 years as an electrician. They named it Lemker Field for their two families. His mother was a Lemker, and now the name lives on, alongside that of St. Elizabeth Healthcare, which is where Garen Colvin comes in. He is the president and CEO of St. Elizabeth Healthcare these days. I could never have imagined this, to have one of the -the state-of-the-art baseball facilities here in Ludlow. I'm so proud of St. Elizabeth Healthcare that we have the ability to do something like this. The hope here is this field will teach a new generation of Ludlow kids about baseball, and a whole lot more. This will help, says Woody McMillan, Ludlow baseball coach, in this river town he calls a walking community, where people don't need a car to get from one end of town to the other. This Ludlow community has done everything right, the Reds Community Fund's Charlie Frank said. Not a soul disagreed. 265-unit multifamily development project coming to Dayton, reported on by Haley Parnell. The city of Dayton passed an ordinance on May 3rd to issue up to $50 million to assist Velo Riverside LLC with a multifamily development project in the Manhattan Harbor development area adjacent to Manhattan Harbor Marina. Arlington Properties is the developer of the 265-unit multifamily development, which they're naming Below Riverside. The developer is also behind Tapestry on the River, a 263-unit apartment community in Dayton. You're issuing up to $50 million in bonds, but these bonds are not your debt by statute, and otherwise they are the debt of the project, Parsons said. The city has absolutely no responsibility for the payment at all. You're simply acting as a conduit bond issuer on this particular project to allow some incentive available for the project to move forward. According to the city administrator Jay Fawcett, Dayton's public finance lawyer has approved all of the documents. Councilman Bessler was concerned with how much fill would be needed for this project. 
I think all the trucks full of dirt coming through our center of town has been an issue for the last eight years or something like that. And I'm just wondering how much more you guys need to build in for infrastructure to make it above the floodplain or what your plans are for that, Bessler said. The seller was required to raise the site out of the floodplain as part of the project. Parsons said that 99% of the fill had been done. He said once those elevations are certified, they will then submit information to FEMA to get that area officially out of the floodplain so it can be developed. Another concern brought up by Bessler was the state of Route 8, which has been closed for years and is near where the multifamily development would be. It seems like a big concern considering all these new people are going to be living down there, and we have existing families and businesses down there that I think it's something that we definitely need to strongly try to figure out how to solve, Bessler said. The state has abandoned the road, which offered it to the county to take over, who rejected that offer. The next step, according to Fawcett, is to see whether the city of Fort Thomas and the city of Dayton are interested in taking that road over. What to do with Route 8 has been in discussion for many years. Not too many of them are going to go towards Fort Thomas, Fawcett said. They're going to go to work or shopping or whatever the other direction. Building relationships, huge priority for new NKU Director of Athletics, reported on by G. Michael Graham. When Christina Roybal starts the new job officially on July 1st, the new Director of Athletics said building relationships will be a huge priority. That is not only with the coaches, administrators, and the Northern Kentucky University North student-athletes. That's also with the alumni and other members of the community. That's what I plan on doing, really, for the next 30, 60, 90 days once I arrive. Getting to know people and what they care about and what is so special and unique, what they find joy in coming here, Roybal said. Really, those connections are the biggest piece. Roybal will take over for Ken Bothoff. He announced his retirement earlier this year. Roybal will come to NKU from the University of Northern Iowa from the Missouri Valley Conference. She is the primary administrator for 14 of the 17 sports there. Her roles include budget development and expenditure approvals. She's been at Northern Iowa since 2016. Roybal came to Northern Iowa from Fresno State University. She had a number of roles there, including interim senior women administrator and sports administrator for women's lacrosse, men's, and women's tennis. She also saw the creation of a women's water polo squad. NKU has 17 programs competing in Division I. A big difference is Northern Iowa has a football team and NKU does not. I think from the very beginning, I knew that NKU was an institution I was attracted to, and it has a lot to do with the fact that the values closely align with mine, Roybal said. As a regional comprehensive institution, it's a very special type of student-athlete. It's a student-athlete who knows they're coming here to compete, to do great things in the classroom, but also be engaged in the community. That's what I'm about. That's the institutions that I have been a part of. NKU head coach Darren Horn pointed out the Northern Iowa Panthers men's basketball team has won NCAA tournament games. That is something the Norse hoped to do sometime. The women's soccer team made the NCAA tournament in 2016, and the women's volleyball team won the Horizon League tournament in 2019. Both have veteran head coaches. Bob Sheehan just finished his 25th season coaching the women's soccer team, and Liz Hart finished her 12th season with the volleyball team in the fall. I'm very excited about her. Proven leader and winner, Hart said. To be able to have a director of athletics that supervised 14 sports, including women's volleyball at UNI, which is an incredible program. I think to have a leader and mentor you can look up to and ask questions to is very in tune in what the NCAA is changing and evolving to. I trust her and I'm looking forward to getting to know her and see how she can help us grow our program and the entire athletic department. The recent changes with the Names, Images, and Likeness Act in which college athletes can receive financial payments is relatively new. It brings all sorts of challenges to teams. 
NIL, I believe, is here to stay, so it's a matter of embracing it for what it is and whatever it will turn out to be, Roybal said. NIL, I think, at a mid-major institution can still see opportunities that it does at the larger institutions. It's just an opportunity for student-athletes to market themselves. Are other institutions using it to pull other student-athletes away or to recruit them from high schools? Yes, it's there. We're going to continue to educate our student-athletes on the NIL process and educate the community on what is permitted. We'll find the correct way to do it to allow the student-athletes the opportunity to use their images and likeness while still being a student. We have a tremendous group of coaches, Roybal said. Some of them have been here quite some time and some that are newer, but they are well-versed in recruiting. We've seen some success in the program, and so I have every bit of confidence in their abilities to recruit both from the region and beyond as well. Knowing that we are in a region with strong talent is obviously a benefit, but I'm confident in their abilities. It's been proven that they can recruit very well. Roybal has a Bachelor's of Arts in Health, Physical Education, and Recreation degree from St. Mary's College, California in 2003. She holds a Master's degree from Fresno State in Kinesiology in 2006 and Business Administration in 2013. She has two children. Her son Bailey is on the wrestling team at South Dakota State, and her daughter Nicolette is in the 8th grade. Body found in Hebron ID'd as missing Green Township man, reported on by Caitlin Gebby. Authorities have identified a body discovered on the Ohio Riverbank in Hebron. On Friday, April 22nd, the Boone County Sheriff's Office released a report that a body was discovered on the Ohio River shoreline in Hebron. Investigators have been working to positively identify the body and notify the family. Richard Brock was a 75-year-old man from Green Township, a suburb of Cincinnati, who was reported missing on Tuesday, March 22nd, after he left his house the day before. Reports said he left on foot. His body was recovered in the river a month later near the 6500 block of River Road in Hebron. He was identified using dental records, according to Boone County Coroner Missy Rittinger. Rittinger said Brock's family has been notified, and now authorities are awaiting the return of toxicology and forensic dental reports, both of which are standard in autopsies. Rittinger said they have not determined whether Brock's death was accidental. And those are the stories we're following from Monday, May 9th, 2022. For more on these stories and to see what else is happening in Northern Kentucky, please visit linknky.com.